Good to be here this morning, and I hope you've had a good week. We have a lot to be thankful for, and the Lord has provided us a beautiful day. Springtime is upon us, and again, there is much to be thankful for. I know we got at least one happy person, Amanda. It's spring break, so these teachers are getting a, they're getting a break. Parents probably not so happy, but uh, those teachers that are getting a break, so it is good, and it's a good time of the year. Daylight savings is was today, so I hope, well, you're here, so you're either here because you set your clocks forward or you just, you're just blessed, so that's good, it's good to be here. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm going to reference a couple of verses in chapter one uh, as we move into today's lesson. Um, in chapter one and verse three, Paul writes, we give thanks, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, praying always for you. And then if you drop down in verse 9, uh, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, their, the faith, obviously, that they had, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let me read that again. Uh, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you. Remember he said that, we're, that they were praying always for the Colossians, verse 3. Here he says, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord please to, and uh, to please him in all respects to please him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In every single letter that the Apostle Paul writes, all of his letters, he would have a what we might call a thesis statement. He would make a statement in the introduction of his letters that would then be the format, the foundation, and the teaching emphasis of the rest of the letter. And uh, so in Colossians, his, the thesis statement, the foundation statement, that he's going to use to address the Colossians, people that he loved dearly. He obviously had a relationship with them, obviously in relationship to his three mission trips that uh, he took. You read about them in the book of Acts. But what, what he's going to emphasize, again, the emphasis of this letter is that, that, that he always would pray for them. He would not cease to pray for them. And the prayer would be to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the rest of the letter, he, he reveals to them spiritually, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what a prayer looks like, that a prayer on behalf of somebody for the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that that person may walk, that church, those, that community, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. That's what the letter's about. And so we've been going through this, and uh, we're all the way down to chapter 2. I'm, I'm actually taking the last section of chapter 1. I'm going to be preaching back in that in, uh, in some ensuing weeks. But for this morning, I want to drop down to chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle. Uh, as he is chapter 1, he talks about his role as a pastor and the purpose and the role and the ministry of being a pastor uh, and then in chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, 
remember, put this in the setting of a prayer for someone that could be filled with knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is, it says, that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged having what? Having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Understanding, increasing in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. So, if you read Paul's letters, you're going to find that in every letter he makes a statement about prayer. In the second chapter, the first chapter of the Ephesians, uh, he would say, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. He would pray, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you could know the wisdom and the spiritual, have this spiritual wisdom and understanding that you might even know the breadth of the love and the peace that comes from God. And so many people think that that first chapter is uh, just a short prayer. But if you were to start, if you did the entire book of Ephesians, where he says in that first chapter, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that prayer doesn't end until the third chapter. All the doctrine, the rich doctrine of Ephesians is, uh, begins with the prayer and is included in a prayer. This letter to the Colossians, the point I'm trying to make to you is that as Paul is praying to these people, that they would be what? Again, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, doing all this good stuff that he wants you to do, that the Colossian letter is considered uh, by many that, yes, it's a letter, but this letter is it's a prayer. The whole letter is a prayer. It's a prayer. It starts with his initial thoughts. And so I had Paul read this morning from that Sermon on the Mount about um, that great teaching from Jesus about teaching us how to pray, one you're very familiar with. I mentioned in a study this week. So the I think uh, the most meaningful um, study that I had is I was pursuing ministry in the College of Biblical Studies. Jackson's going to be taking a course at Ligonier Ministries, and uh, I'm really excited about him doing that at this point in his life. The richness that you're going to receive from that, you cannot imagine. But for me, in that process of getting an education, um, the I don't want to use the word difficult because that's not fair. It was difficult, but not in a bad way. It was tedious, but not in a bad way. Uh, was to take every prayer in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Every single Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, the entirety of the scripture, and to parse it. It was a, uh, a two-year uh, uh, two uh, uh, <laughs> Come on, Amanda, what do you assignment? <laughs> It was a two-year assignment, uh, and, and it, it had more meaning for me than all the other studies. They're all meaningful. I don't, but let me tell you why I can assert that. If you take every prayer from Genesis through Revelation, no matter what the circumstances are, what happens is, is this wonderful picture that uh, is evolved. It's a spiritual reality picture that evolves from that. And here, so what is it? So all the prayers that are prayed, something, and you examine those prayers, 
What you find is this thing. It, you'll always find this every time. doesn't matter what the circumstances of the prayer are. doesn't matter. Old Testament, New Testament. You will find, you will understand God as he is intended to be understood. You will. The challenge was made to us, and, and it is absolutely true. If you just wanted to have one study in all the Bible, you could study every prayer, Genesis through Revelation, and you could understand completely the will of God for you and I. Now, then you know what the will of God for you and I, concerning every prayer, Genesis through Revelation, I'm being repetitive, so that I can fully understand, because it is revealed, the revelation of God, this if I didn't know who God was, if I wasn't sure who God was, if I wasn't sure about some doctrine that is in Scripture that I'm trying to figure out what's the right or the wrong of it, I could just study all the prayers that are in the Bible, and I would come away, and I would absolutely, after this, I'd have this wonderful fullness accomplished assignment that would reveal, oh, I understand God now. I understand the doctrine of everything that is in Scripture. I understand the doctrine of baptism. I understand uh, the doctrine of the teaching of the Lord's Supper. I understand the works of the Holy Spirit. I understand anything that Scripture. I understand the law by examining all the prayers in the Scripture, parsing them, and now knowing, understanding God as He was meant to be understood. And here's how He was meant to be understood. This is what God wants, and it's revealed in every prayer as those prayers reveal to us the mind, the heart, the purpose, the will, the nature, the person of God. God wants you and I to love him so much that we're completely dependent upon him. That's it. Every prayer in the Bible will realize the truth of all the doctrine in Scripture and helping us understand God and God wants you and I to love him in such a way that we are absolutely dependent upon him for everything. That's it. So well, what's God, God wants you and I to love him. I'm saying this again, wants us to love him and understand that love for him. So that no matter where I'm at in my life, no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what struggle I'm enduring, no matter the joy that I'm encountering, no matter what it is, I, I, I will absolutely have no reason. The only reason and the only purpose that I have in living is to be completely sold out to God, completely dependent upon him. Absolutely dependent. I'm sold out for God. There's nothing, I, I'm not going to depend on Aubrey. I'm not going to depend on Tammy. I'm not going to depend on my best friend. I'm not going to depend on my family. I'm not, my total dependence for every moment, second event, circumstance in my life is tied to my love for God that makes me realize, oh my, I love him so much. I love him so much. And then every great story in the Bible, what is it? The story of David and Goliath. There was a man that was so in love with God that he understood, even from being a shepherd boy in the fields serving his father, that God, he could depend on God. 
No matter if the, if the enemy was the wolf, the bear, the lion, he could depend upon God. That's just one example. Very familiar one. So here's, go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, because this is another one of those prayers. This is one of those great moments in life. 1 Kings chapter 3. Paul had prayed to the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart would might be enlightened. He said, I want you to have a heart that's filled to the Colossians. Part of that letter that is a prayer, I want you to have a heart that is filled with all spiritual and wisdom and understanding of the knowledge of God. That's what I want from you. That's what you need. That's what God needs from us. That's what God wants from us. And so then uh, this, I love this story of Solomon. I'm hoping and believing that you, that you already know the story of Solomon. I hope you do. And uh, he's the king of uh, Israel. He's David's son. And I want to just precurse this by saying this. By the time Solomon is an older guy, what do you think Solomon knew about his life? He knew that he was a son of David. He knew who his father was. We're going to read that in just a minute. He had to have known the circumstances in which he was born. He had to. He had to know about the great sin of David and the great sin of his mother, Bathsheba. He had to have. He had to have known about the tragedy that ensued from that. I'm sure that he had known of his father's great victories. I'm sure that he knew of David's great victory over Goliath. I'm, I'm sure he knew those things. I am sure that he had read the 51st Psalm. By the time we get to this point in the life of Solomon, he had read the 51st Psalm. Read it. It's the Psalm David writes after his terrible sin with Bathsheba. And he cries out to God. He says, created me a clean heart against you, Father, and only you have I sinned. I was born in iniquity. Restoring me, created me a new heart. This 51st Psalm. I am sure that Solomon knew about his father's great sin, his mother's great sin. He had read that 51st Psalm. He had grown up in the shadows of the palace. He had seen the greatness of Israel. And so here he is in the third chapter in 1 Kings. This is being recorded. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Took Pharaoh's daughter. Brought her to the city of David uh, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and a wall around Jerusalem. He's, he's an older man now. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Probably need to spend some time in, in sharing with you that, the, the high places, actually what those stood for this morning. I may make brief mention of that. But simply, the temple had not been built. Uh, there were high places uh, that had to do with uh, heathen worship of heathen gods. And then the influence that the heathen worship of heathen gods had on God's people, the Jews, and the blending of all that. And that's another sermon for another day. So verse 3, now Solomon loved the Lord. He loved him. Walking in the statutes of his father David, except... He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the high places. 
and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. Now, quick footnote history here. Gibeon is the final resting place of the tabernacle. So if you've been doing your uh, daily scripture reading, the tabernacle that Moses, God had Moses and the children of Israel build in the wilderness, the final resting place of that was in Gibeon. Uh, the ark should have been there, but we'll, a little bit more read about that. And so uh, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. That was that place. Well, the tabernacle that they built, it was, still, it was there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And, and in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you want me to give you. Ask what you want me to give you. Then Solomon said, Thou hast shown great loving kindness to thy servant David, my father, uh, according as he walked before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Paul would say to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, I want your heart to be filled with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding of God. Romans in chapter 10, Paul would write, with the heart we believe. Proverbs in chapter 4, Solomon would write, above all else, guard your heart, because from it the wellsprings of life flow. So we believe with the heart. We're to guard our heart. Our heart is to be filled with all this spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the cry of Paul. Okay, And so Solomon, he's saying here about his father, he says, listen, uh, in before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee, and thou hast reserved for him this great loving kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king uh, in place of my father David. And I love this. But I'm a little child. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to go out or come in. Solomon knew a lot of stuff, didn't he? He knew who his father was. He knew who his mother was. He knew the history of Israel. He, he, he would be moved in such a way he had been raised in the admonition of the Lord according to the statues of, of God. He would go to Gibeon, that final resting place of the tabernacle. He would offer a thousand burnt sacrifices. The house of the Lord had not been built. God appears to him in a dream. Ask, what do you want? What do you want? And before he asks what he wants, he, he, he affirms something. I wish, listen, if I could just supplant and just put into the mind of our young folks and uh, these kids, is as you begin to put this under this exam, this light, and you examine, look at who Solomon, he said, I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to go out or come in. We're told in the scripture, throughout the scripture, that God will humble the proud and he'll exalt the humble. And if, if there's anything that I love about Solomon and the influence of his father, and, and I'm sure his mother, and the law, the Torah, the word of God, and the knowledge that he had that came from it, he understood this about him. I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. That's a good place to be. It's exactly the opposite place that Satan wants you to be. Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said, knowledge puffs up. Satan wants you and I so inflated with self-assurance that comes from our own dependency based upon our own knowledge. 
the exact opposite of what the prayers of God will reveal. The prayers of God will reveal, oh, my lands, I have a God that loves me in ways that I could not possibly imagine. I, I love him just as John would write. I love him because he first loved me. I know that because of the prayers. I know that because of the truth that are in the prayers. I know that because of the holy word of God. I know that I know it in every fiber of my being. God loves me. And so I love him. And God's love has one purpose, and that's for me to be completely dependent upon him. Because it's the best place for me to be. There is no better place for you and I to be than when we are sold out for God, completely dependent upon God. With no trust in ourselves, and no trust in our knowledge, and no trust in our abilities. Satan desires for you to be self-assured. Christ desires for you to be selflessly assured in God and the assurance that comes from him. That's that balance, that spiritual and unspiritual place where I'm confident in myself, I'm sure of myself, I'm proud of myself, I have find strength in myself, and then the opposite of that, that says, oh my, oh my, I have nothing to offer. I'm weak, I'm a sinner, there's nothing that is good in me. God, I just need you. I need your strength and your knowledge and your power and your wisdom. And that's where he is. I don't know how to go out or come in. Have you ever, you ever, have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said, God, I'm in a place in my life right now. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how to come or go. It's a good place to be. One of my favorite prayers is in 2 Chronicles 20. And Judah is what's left of the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes and all the enemies that should not have been enemies are coming against them. And the king gets word of that and he gathers all the people in the temple to pray and they pray, God, we're powerless. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good place to be. I'm powerless. It's so opposite of what Satan and the world and our flesh wants. Satan and the world and the flesh wants you to, I am powerful. I do know what to do. And my eyes are on the goal, my goal that I've set. And I won't waver. What a proud American. Listen, that's just very American, isn't it? It's very capitalist. It's very pull your boots up, get after it, get it done. But it shows no dependence on God. It shows pride in yourself and but no love of God. And Solomon says, I don't know how to go out or come in. And thy servant, and thy servant, he's a servant. You know, a servant will say that. <laughs> how many kings? You know, a country is blessed when the leaders of that country really believe they're servants. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen. A great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitudes. So here it is. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? Now, if you study the Hebrew word wisdom, uh, they believed, and, and you can render every writing in the, 
every word that is mentioned in the Old Testament that has to do with wisdom, uh, it had several meanings the way it's rendered. Uh, the first thing they believed about wisdom is that wisdom is absolute. It was, you couldn't debate wisdom. Wisdom in and of itself was, it was wisdom. But they believed that although wisdom was is true, is infallible, they believed someone could know wisdom, they could know the truth about wisdom, but they didn't mean they were wise. What made a person wise was the ability to discern, to discern wisdom, to understand it. Wisdom, by and of itself, is wise. It's, you can't refute wisdom. And so you could maybe know the truth of something, but you wouldn't understand it. The truth is the wisdom of it, but you wouldn't understand it. You couldn't discern it. And so when Solomon asked, this, what do you want? He said, give me an understanding heart. An, uh, he's a servant who doesn't know how to go in or go out or come in, who's a servant, and he asked for an understanding heart. It's not enough to know wisdom. I need to be able to discern wisdom. And it'll be on the basis of what? So that I can make a judgment concerning between good and evil. What's the, let's talk about what's going on in the world today. Let's really just talk about it. It's not just today, it's been since the garden. Since the garden. In the garden, uh, you know the story. God, Adam and Eve had everything. And he said, you, it's all yours. But you can't do one thing. Don't eat, don't eat this fruit. Not don't eat it. And so the wisdom of God was in that statement. It was a wise statement, and it was true. There was wisdom in it. And so Satan immediately, he, the serpent, he tempts her. Now, the scripture does say that God will not allow you to be and I to be tempted beyond anything. God will provide a way out. But we're tempted. And we're tempted because the desires of our eyes cannot be fulfilled. And garden's there. We're in the garden, and Eve is there. And Satan appears and said, did God really say? Did God really say? Yep, he said it. But you don't understand it. See, you, you don't really understand what's going on here, Eve. God, God really has put himself against you. Because God doesn't want you to be like him. You're not really going to die. And so she didn't have the ability. She could know wisdom, but she could not discern wisdom. She could not know the difference between good and evil. In fact, Satan just said, oh, yeah, now you'll know the difference between good and evil. That was a lie. So she looked, she saw, she desired it, she took, she ate. And from that moment on, man in and of ourself have never been able to discern between good and evil. We just can't. Here's the tip. So, we live in a country where uh, some people think the Democrats are evil. Some people believe the Republicans are evil. Some people believe 
abortion is a choice. Some people believe it's murder. Some people think that, you know, smoking marijuana, you know, what's wrong with that? Nobody ever beat up his wife smoking marijuana. But the jails, jails are full of people that are guys that abused their wives with alcohol. Well, but that's a person's choice. I mean, I see it's just endless, isn't it? We, we could, I just threw a few things out there, good and evil, discern between good and evil, and then we get passionate about it. We're just passionate. Well, this is good, and this is evil. No, you're evil. I mean, it's what we do. And so Solomon, as a servant who doesn't know how to, how to go out or come in, he's like a little child, he asks for an understanding heart. Why? To discern between good and evil. To discern between good and evil. In verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, behold, because you've asked this thing and not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall, uh, nor shall one like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you have not asked, I, both riches and honor, so that, so that there will not be among the kings like you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I'll prolong your life, your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Prayed for an understanding heart. Church, now, Paul wrote to a New Testament church. I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I pray that you'd be filled with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding of God. I, I want that to happen so that you, everything you can do can be pleasing to God. So here's a challenge. Do you, do we, do I have an understanding heart? Do we? I mean, seriously. The understanding heart will be able to discern between good and evil. On the basis of what? Here's the real challenge this morning. As I look at this in Paul's prayer for the New Testament church, Solomon's prayer, any prayer that leads me to an understanding of God that he just wants me to love him so much that I will only depend upon him. And then just in my own personal walk and my age and the ministry that God has given me and the opportunity to serve him and the blessings that come from that, here's, here's, here's a little bit of a dilemma that we have. And it is, the question is, do, do you have an understanding heart? And what would an understanding heart look like? Let's get real honest. I never believe in coincidence. How many of you this week have dealt with a drug addict or an alcoholic? Dealt with them. How many of you this week have dealt with a liar? Anybody lied to you this week? 
How many of you this week have dealt with an angry, immoral person? Anybody dealt with a dishonest person this week? Anybody dealt with an arrogant person this week? Anybody dealt with uh, an unstable person this week? Have you, have you had to deal with somebody at work that makes you uncomfortable? Have you found yourself angry at someone? Have you found yourself in a position to judge someone? Have you found yourself in a position to be frustrated with somebody who just continues to do the same things over and over and over again? Have you had to deal with somebody that's let you down this week? Somebody that's let you down. Somebody that's not kept their word to you. Have you, anybody, you had to deal with any of those people in your life? Okay. Now, let's magnify that. If you're a Christian, if you say that I'm a Christian, I'm saved by God through grace, by faith, God saved me. I did nothing to save myself. He saved me by the cross of his son and the blood of his son. He deemed me as an individual that he could choose to save and he saved me. I'm a Christian. You believe that? So, okay. So if you're that person and you had to deal with any of the, th- any of the circumstances of people, if you're a Christian and you've dealt with a lying, cheating, no good, lazy, abusive, drunk, loud mouth, foul mouth, arrogant, angry, double-faced, hypocritical, whatever. Might have been at the drive-thru at a Wendy's. I don't know. Could have been anywhere. Could have been your own family members. Just whatever. So you're a Christian, and you've dealt with all, any of those people that have hurt your feelings, betrayed you, misused you, whatever it is, let you down, didn't meet up to what your expectations were, do you have an understanding heart? Being able to discern good from evil. Do you? On the basis of what? At what right does your understanding or my understanding heart as a Christian give me the right to determine something good or evil about someone on the basis of what? Trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, shame on me. Now, the Bible, that line is, uh, the Bible's line is very clear. It's just one example. Peter says, you know, I believe I have an understanding heart, Jesus, because I'm really big on this. You know, I was on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus, when you taught us how to pray. Man, what a great moment. And, you know, right at the end of that prayer, the reason I had it, Paul, he said, right at the end of that prayer, Jesus, you said, you know what, if, if you don't forgive somebody, you won't be forgiven. But so I have an understanding. I understood that sermon, Jesus. Boy, I got it. So I'm willing to forgive somebody seven times because I got an understanding heart. I know all about it. Seven times, man. That's understanding. That's a lot of understanding. Oh, Peter. He said, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven. Do you have an understanding heart based upon a heart that's been filled with the wisdom and the spiritual understanding of God? A heart that has been enlightened 
in such a way that you would know the breadth, the height, the width, the depth of God's grace and mercy that he's given. Do you have an understanding heart? Where does your line lose its understanding? And on the basis of what? Now, I, I challenge you to read all these verses on this handout. You and I have been called to have an understanding heart. You and I have been called to have a heart that is filled with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding of God so that we can do good works that please him to the glory of God. That's who we are. I, I, my biggest uh, pet peeve in the body of Christ is I call them uh, self-righteous religious rednecks. That's what I call them. I've heard, I, I just, I, I just get fed up with it. Uh, they really, Christians that are so delusional, they believe they have a right to bring a case against someone. I just do. They believe they have the right to spread hearsay or gossip, and they're justified in it. Bring a case against someone. It's it. You have no understanding. You certainly don't have the understanding. We don't have the understanding of the heart of God if we think that we're in any position other than a child who doesn't know how to go out or come in and doesn't have the ability to discern good and evil. On our own, we can't. Man's righteousness is like a filthy rag under God. I'll, I'll, I'm a good guy. I'll, I'll forgive him seven times. Really? Well, you, your heart doesn't understand. Your heart doesn't understand. An understanding heart that can discern good from evil says, no, you forgive them 70 times 7. An understanding heart says, so all the lists, whatever you list, where do you want to pick it out of one of the New Testament epistles? Man, I'll tell you what, none of such of these are going to inherit the kingdom of God. No adulterer, no homosexual offender, no violent offender, no murderer. Yeah, I understand that. No gossiper. No envious person. No prideful person. No angry person. I don't understand that. Challenge. What the world needs to see from you and I is a group of people that have understanding hearts. That is able to discern between good and evil. And the good and evil starts with you and I. There's nothing good in me. It's Romans 7, Paul says, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm full of sin. The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I find then that the principle of evil dwells within me, to the one who wishes to do good. I don't know how to go out or come in. I'm just a child. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death. That's the beginning of an understanding heart. Thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, thank, therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, Romans 8 and 1. But in order for you to be able to understand and discern between good and evil with an understanding heart, you guys got to start with you. There's nothing good in me. I'm evil. And he decided in his understanding heart that he would die for me and save me. I don't have the time this morning. I would just challenge you. If you're having a problem with anything that I'm saying, read these verses. This is just, here they are. I gave you a list of them. Listen, John 6, 38, 39, and 40. What is it? He said, listen, 
listen, I didn't come in the world to do my will. I came to do his will. This is the will of him who sent me. I didn't come for the sick or the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. They're all right there. I intentionally, I want you to read them. I've come to call who? What? An understanding heart. The understanding heart that would hang on a cross and say, you want to talk about someone that could discern good from evil with an understanding heart? He was a child. He was a son of God. And he knew how to go out and he knew how to come in. He's the only one that could ever say it. He knew how to discern good and evil. And on that cross, he looked at an evil sea of people, self-righteous Pharisees. All Judas has probably committed suicide at this point. All the other 11 apostles who betrayed him and ran out on him and were cowards. And one of them standing out there with his mother, John. People that spit on him using the word of God to blaspheme him. Weak Roman rulers. Hardened Roman centurions. People in a crowd that had been bought off to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, when they could have chosen to set him free, but they chose Barabbas. You think you have an understanding heart? There's only one that has an understanding heart. The only one that could look out on that crowd, and you and I would have been in that crowd. Don't delude yourself. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. John had run off at one point that he was stripped naked, fleeing from Jesus. And he looks out and sees his mother with an understanding heart. And he says, mother, here's your son. And son, here's your mother. A criminal on the cross, he would tell him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. All the ugliness and the filth and the sin and the condemnation that the Roman government has put on you today, you're going to be free in paradise. Do you have an understanding heart? If the prayer is that I would pray that you would be filled with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding of, uh, that God could fill you with spiritually so that you could do a good work that would be pleasing to him, it'll only happen if you have an understanding heart. So this week, I never believe in coincidence. Dealing with a drug addict. He's covered in tattoos. His life is one lie after another and one act of deception after another. He deceives his mother. He deceives his father. He steals from his mother. He steals from his father. He can't live with him anymore. The mother just loves him so much that she continues to cry out and want to help him any way she can, but she cannot trust her own son. He ends up in a hospital. He's homeless. His elbow has been shattered, and, and uh, he, he, he's afraid that he's not going to wake up from the surgery and and he just has the filth of the world. They can't do the surgery because he'd taken heroin the night before. I was in the hospital. My sister was getting surgery. I was asked to go in and pray for this young man. God brought in a relationship. I said, you know, there's a place. It's called the House of Hope. They're in Madisonville, Texas. They can help you, son. You're 31 years old. You have three sons, uh, three children you don't even get to see. You're smart. You know, this man was given a scholarship to go to Duke University when he was in high school. 
But he flitted it all away, dope, alcohol. Mother, godly woman, works for a church. Do you have an understanding heart? Well, how would you see that? I mean, it's covered in tattoos. Liar. Don, I didn't tell you this. We took him, Don and I went and picked him up in San Marcos, took him to the House of Hope. He tested positive for three d drugs. Yeah, meth, weed, and uh, some, I don't even, some I never even heard of. I believe when we was in the truck and he didn't have cigarettes and we stopped at Bucky's, I believe he lit up a joint. I do. Had to get high one more time before he went into a residential treatment facility. Well, how do you feel about that person? When just, didn't you drive right up here to 6 and 21? And there's a guy out there, and he's got a sign. And you know what the signs say. You going to give him any money? Why wouldn't you give him any money? Oh, here's the word that makes me angry. When I hear church people use the word stewardship, I want to, oh! Literally, well, you know, we can't help them. He's going to spend it on drugs and alcohol. That's your redneck religious, right? self-righteous redneck. Where was the stewardship 2,000 years ago on Golgotha? Give me the stewardship speech. That was good stewardship for God to die, his son, to die for a wretch like you and I. I just, if you know what it is, cowardice, because people really, they're going to hide behind the name of stewardship because, I, you know, we don't want to waste the Lord's money. Well, if it's his money, he ain't going to waste it. It's not yours anyway. And the minute you think it's yours, it's an unrighteous money. But you keep your money. That's good. I don't ask. We, I don't preach. If the text demands that we talk about money, I'll do it. But I don't do. I don't ask for money here. God's work done God's well. Never lack provision. But it's amazing. People, I've seen church folks <laughs> in the name of stewardship or something. It's unholy. It certainly doesn't have an understanding heart that's able to discern good from evil. They do it with money. As you, I, I'm not on the dog trail here, Charlie. This is real stuff. This is real. Understanding heart, a heart that's full of all the spiritual wisdom of God that, that will allow us to do good works. Where was the good stewardship of the Son of God who'd been tempted in all things, had did not sinned, and had the Son of the living God, and in, if you read in 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin. He became sin. Where in the heart of a Christian do you and I have the right to make a judgment concerning good and evil based upon anything that is not based upon the cross? Make that argument. If you, if you could stand before a preacher, an elder, a fellow Christian, remove that. If you could stand before God and say, God, I have the right to make a case to you about good and evil concerning something with the drug addict, the alcoholic. We had, we had the young man. He left that night because he didn't want to pay the price. And we had to put him on a bus back home. His heartbroken mother and then this week, two phone calls from two ladies that have the same name. I don't know what the significance of that. Uh, and they're both, God bless them, they've sold themselves out to the lie of the world. They're homeless. It's somebody else's fault. They've got all the scars of uh, a lustful life that has pursued all the flesh, that, the terrible dark flesh that man has to offer. And they're having to resort to a church because they need a hotel room. Is that good stewardship? 
And then I've heard all the lies. You, you can't imagine the lies that you'll hear people will tell you as they're trying to plead to a church, help me. My life is a wreck. And they can't tell the truth because the church doesn't have an understanding heart. They can't tell the truth because the preacher doesn't have an understanding heart. They can't tell the truth that I'm just strung out on dope. I've been strung out on dope for years. I've burned every bridge in my life. I've made nothing but bad decisions. I've been a horrible mother. I've used my body for uh, just to, to fulfill the desires of my flesh and to manipulate whatever I do, and you fill in all the blame. What well, couldn't say that to the preacher? Couldn't stand up here before. We just read a story last week with the prostitute who was standing behind Jesus and she's weeping and she's kissing his feet. You know what the church, you know what the teacher of the law did to her. Boy, she knew what kind of woman this was. Boy, he had an understanding heart, didn't he? He understood his own self-righteousness and the church is full of people that understand their own self-righteousness and don't understand the righteousness of God. It's a lot to digest, folks. But if we're going to study this and we're going to put it in its proper place and we're going to examine a prayer that is designed to make you and I understand God in such a way that we're completely dependent upon him. And that prayer is that you and I would be spilled with all, filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would have an understanding heart to be able to discern good from evil. And it better start with us and it better lead us to that cross and it better proceed from that cross. The lost, dark, broken world needs an understanding heart from God's people. That when we sing amazing grace, we believe it. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And who am I? To even ask, to have the audacity to ask, should I forgive someone seven times? Do you think of the audacity of that question? Could you imagine the, the lack of an understanding? Could you imagine the self-righteousness? Should I forgive him seven times? No, no, Peter, that's not good enough. That's not how the Son of God discerns good from evil. That's not how the Son that knows how to go out and come in discerns good from evil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the, today. You've given us life. Father, I pray that you would grow in us a heart that could be enlightened, an understanding heart, Father, that as we approach you as uh, unknowing children, servants with a desire to serve you, Father, that you would fill us with an understanding heart that would have compassion, trying our very best to understand all the brokenness in the world and the harm and all the deceit of Satan and every dark demonic thing, Father. And instead of being filled with a sense of self-righteousness, Father, I pray that we would be filled with a heart that would just love you more and be completely dependent upon you. And it is in our dependence and our love for you that we pray the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.